Hey guys, Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I just wanted to share uh, one of the platforms we use uh, for our podcast. Uh, it's called Anchor. Uh, it is a free platform. They have creation tools that allow you to record, edit uh, your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Um, Anchor will distribute your podcast on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, uh, most, most all the platforms that you want to reach, you can, you can reach through Anchor. So I encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, again, it's free and it's called Anchor. Have a great day. So three, two, one. This is Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I'm on here with Michelle Tucker, and uh, she is on here. She's she's got uh, just a, a her resume is just astounding. It just goes on forever. I'm looking at just some of her accomplishments. Um, but what I'd like to do is, is allow her to uh, kind of tell the audience exactly who she is, where she's from, how she she got to where she she gained her experience and got to where she is now. So Michelle, welcome to the show. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, thank you for having me, Dean. It's a pleasure. Mm -hmm. So I'm Michelle Seiler Tucker. So if you try to Google me, make sure you get the Seiler in there. Okay. <laughs> so Michelle Seiler Tucker, born in Long Beach, California, raised in Texas, live in New Orleans. <laughs> so I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I probably started my first business at the age of 14, 15. Uh, but then I got sucked into working for corporate America, uh, worked at Xerox very quickly within six months, got um, the, the managers came to me and said, Michelle, we want you to try out for regional uh, vice president. You'll never get it, but you right. should buy it for the experience. And I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get it, why should I do yeah. it? And I said, because it's great experience. So you should just do it for the experience. So I said, okay, and I was competing against people who had been there for decades. And it was about a six month process and I ended up winning and beating everybody else. So all of my good friends at Xerox now hated me. <laughs> so funny, was, funny how that happens. I know. So yeah, I mean, it's like, it was like mean girls. Like I would go sit at the lunch table and I would all get up and leave. <laughs> right, right. And and so, I'm sure that was difficult, you know, uh, I'm sure that's difficult just going through the corporate world. As we know, we always hear the stories of like, you know, women accomplishing thing in the corporate world back, especially back in the 90s, 80s, 90s was very difficult and stuff. So uh, yeah. I'm sure it was a real challenge to, to be able to reach that. And then when you got it, it was probably pretty exciting. It, it was exciting. And then, but then nobody wanted to talk to me or, <laughs> or, or eat lunch with me. So Anyway, though, it was exciting, but I did that for about, I don't know, six or seven months. And I was managing, like I said, 85 unruly salespeople. So now I was no longer in control mm -hmm. of my money and how I make money uh, because they weren't selling, you know? Yeah. So my check was dependent upon them. And my nickname at Xerox was the closer, you know, but I still had a good six figure salary, making great benefits. Mm -hmm. And, um, I decided to buy a business and just operate it on the side and still keep my corporate position. So I stumbled across a franchise that had a couple of locations and I was gonna buy one of their franchises and they said, no, we don't want you to buy. We know of you, we know of your reputation. We want you to partner with us and help put us on the map. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, look, I'm not gonna leave a six figure, <laughs> six figure job with great benefits for a company that's not successful. At selling for for an unknown, yeah. For an unknown, I said, but I tell you what, I'll do it for six months. We'll see how it goes. And so I went to trade, flew all over the U.S., went to trade shows, still kept my day job at Xerox, 
was flying out on nights and weekends and ended up making more money in six months than I did an entire year at Xerox and ended up selling hundreds of franchises. Um, but then I came back and told Xerox that I'm going to leave. Of course, and everybody really hated me because <laughs> they didn't get the position. And then I let, and then I only kept the position for like seven or eight months, right? maybe a year, I think. And so anyway, so then I transitioned into franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. And they did what a lot of companies typically do. They start over-promising and under-delivering because they got mm -hmm. too big for their britches. Yeah. So we sold so many franchises and they just couldn't handle the success because they didn't build the solid foundation like they should have. And I couldn't just in good conscience, good faith, continue to sell franchises. So I told them to buy me out and, um, you know, they didn't like it, but they did it. And so anyway, so I got bought out and then I, I'm like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> right. So then I started my mergers and acquisitions business. At first I was selling like coffee shops and restaurants and stuff like that. And then I started selling, you know, transitioning into much larger companies. But as Steve Forbes states, eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. Eight right. out of 10. So I said, well, gosh, if I'm if I'm gonna eat, I need to learn, I need to fix these businesses. Yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. to fix them, I need to grow them, I need to build to sell them. Mm -hmm. And so then I started my fix, grow, build to sell model. So I could get businesses actually sellable. So I buy businesses, I flip them. I partner with business owners, putting up my money, investing my money, my expertise, my resources. And then I build to sell them, you know, in a three to five year plan. So since then I've sold um, over, personally over 500 businesses. My company has sold over a thousand businesses. Mm -hmm. Plus I probably sold another 500, 800 franchises. Yeah. Um, and now we sell businesses that are to $10 million and up. And we got two books out. Um, one was Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, which I wrote in 2013. And then um, Exit Rich that is coming out soon. So being as busy as you are with all the, the businesses and the acquisitions and the things you do, how did you find time to write? Yeah, so that's a good question. Everybody <laughs> always ask me that question because everybody wants to write a book, right? But yeah, everybody. I mean, even myself, I, I've got stuff I want to put down on paper, but I never have time. Yeah. So the way I do it is, is you really got to be disciplined and you got, look, when I did it in 2013, it's right after I had my child in 2011. <laughs> so I don't know what I was thinking. So, so really busy then. I had a taller running yep. around, but um, what I do, and I've done this and I've written four books. So what I do is I pick a time period and it's always the same time. And I skip a few years in between because I need a break. Mm -hmm. uh, usually around Thanksgiving, um, usually and all through Christmas and maybe half of January or through January, depending upon how I'm going. Usually I can write a book in six weeks. Right. But I block out that time. Mm -hmm. And that time is usually slower for us in M&A. Plus I got a good team of people, but I write at home. I type every word in the book. I tried the voice, you know, the voice, um, the audio voice. Yeah, I'm doing voiceover with audio yeah, books. Well, yeah. Number one, that it never understands my accent. Number one. Number <laughs> then you got to go back and correct everything. And yep. I'm, you know, everybody's brain works differently. Mine works very well just typing. Mm -hmm. So within about six weeks, I can knock a book out. Right. And but I'm disciplined, so I'll get up at like four, three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, and I will write all day. Mm-hmm. And I'll write till like five or six o'clock at night, taking only a couple of breaks in between. I don't do it in the office so I don't get distracted. And my office knows mm -hmm. not to bother me unless it's an emergency. 
Yeah. And um, and then it's really tough during Christmas, though, because we'll have a, a household. Yeah, family and everything. Family comes in and they're like, hey, let's have drinks. So I'm like, wait on the drinks till like seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seven. Um, so yeah, you just got to be disciplined. And that's the only way that works for me. Because I know writers are like, okay, well, they write every day. I, right. I can't write every day. I'm so busy. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I get pulled away and distracted by so many things if I don't set aside the time to do certain things. And especially if you have children, you know? So mm -hmm. that's what works best for me, that time period. Find a time period that works best for you. Find a quiet spot. And then just write for eight or nine hours a day. And that's what I do. And then, like I said, within six weeks, I can knock it out. Now it's also easy. I have my, my team do the research. I don't have time to do the research. So I give them yep. all the research to do. I'll write everything else. And then I plug the research in when mm -hmm. I'm, when I'm done. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I, I mean, for someone like me, like I said, I've got so many t ideas and, and things I want to write um, biographies, the whole nine. And I'm just like, where do I even start? You know, uh, where am I going to have the time for this? And, you know, uh, so, so it's just one of those. And obviously with this year, it's like it, we have had the pandemic and it's like now's probably the year I should have done it and spent all this time for the past couple of months doing it while things have been slow. Um, but, you know, things go on. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm an owner of a construction business. I do the podcast. I, I stay very busy. Um, and so, you know, in, in the midst of everything I'm doing, I, I just, I, I kind of find like, well, I should have a lot of this time, but I just didn't, or something comes up emergency wise on the job. So it's like you said, I agree. It's you literally have to set aside that time and just block it out as this is what I'm doing. Yeah, you have to. And, you know, I don't do it every year because it would kill me. Mm -hmm. I, I love writing. So now I'm really chopping at the bit to get back to writing another one. So I'm either I'm probably thinking this year or maybe next year. I'll write my next book. Um, but you got to start with the end of mind. You really need to, to figure out what your end game is and why you're trying to write a book because there's like 30,000 books that come out every week. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And and it's really, you know, I mean, it's hit or miss if your topic's not dead on or it's it's not a hot topic, a hot button topic or uh, something that's really engaging to certain audiences or demographics, you're really not going to go anywhere with it. You're, yeah, you you're not going to get discovered. You got to figure out what you, how, how you're going to monetize it because you'll make no money off of the book. You're going to lose mm -hmm. money off of the book. Right. I mean, Especially if you're trying to make lists, you know, it's just no money in a book unless you're writing Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you've got to hit that demographic that wants it. And, and that's definitely one that hit the demographic. So yeah. um, so tell, tell us a little more about Exit Rich. Um, obviously, we know how career driven you are. We, we see your successes and the things you've, you've achieved. Tell us about the book. Tell us, tell us what's in the book. Uh, maybe a little bit about what drove you to, to create this particular book. Yeah, so when I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business um, for Morning's Worth in 2013, and that was kind of a, that was my first book that I've ever, that I ever wrote, and it was kind of a, you know, it was a good book. I mean, everybody who reads it says, Michelle, it's a great book, but it really didn't get, it didn't really do a deep dive into the business and why businesses fail and why businesses don't sell. So Exit Rich is really a deep dive into businesses and the mistakes business owners make and the pitfalls to avoid and how they should plan their, their exit. Their, I call it the Seller Tucker GPS exit because <clears throat> the biggest mistake, Dean, that business owners make is they don't plan their exit. They mm -hmm. don't think about selling until they have to do the catastrophic event. Right. And that can be internal or external. It's like COVID. Restaurants are like, oh, I got to sell now. Well, you can't sell now. <laughs> right, right. No, no, everybody's freaking out. They're froze yeah. up right now. 
So they, you got to really plan out your exit. And if you plan it accordingly, you won't be affected when a catastrophic events occur. Mm. And nobody thinks about planning their exit. You know, do you have kids, Dean? I do. I have one son. Yep. Okay. So I have a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So parents, what do we do? We plan where our kids are going to go to preschool, where they're going to go to elementary, where they're going to go to high school, where they're going to call, go to college, yep. where they're going to marry, you know. Where they're we, and we live. hope they stick to the plan. <laughs> yes. What, what they're going to be when I grow up, you know. You know, a lot of parents want them to take over the family business. Well, kids don't want to take over the family business yeah. anymore. Yep. So you really have to think about, you really have to plan your business like you plan your kids. Mm -hmm. And everybody plans for their kids' future, but they don't plan for their business exit. Right. And so in, in Exit Rich, you're going to learn about the Siler Tucker GPS exit model where you reverse engineer. From day one of starting or buying your business, you should be thinking about, all right, I want to sell my business for $10 million. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. You want to sell your business for $10 million? Guess what? GPS needs to know. It needs to know your destination, $10 million, but it needs to know where you're starting from. What are you worth today? What is your current location? Is your business worth $5 million today? Well, you're halfway there, mm -hmm. right? And then what is your time frame? Is it two years, three years, five years? Okay, let's say you want to sell for $10 million. You got $5 million, You want to sell it in five years. What? Who are your buyers? Right. There's five different types of buyers. And out of those buyers, which buyers going, which which type of buyers will buy your company? What mm -hmm. is their criteria? And what are they looking for for a $10 million business? Where does the gross revenues have to be? Where does comps have to be? Where does the gross profit margin? What's the EBITDA? Earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization have to be, right? So then you have to and then you have to ask yourself why? Why do I want right. to sell for $10 million? Because Dean, you just said it. We're so busy and we get so distracted. If we don't have a strong enough why, we'll never stay in the game. Right. We'll never get anything accomplished, right? So you have to have a strong why. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to plan that exit. Eight out of 10 businesses don't sell because they never plan their exit. And by the time they think about selling, their business is trending downward. And when it's trending downward, right. that's typically the worst time for you to sell your company. Right, because then it's the buyer winning out. Correct. And business <laughs> owners... See, business owners, they, they come to me and I say, Michelle, I want to sell for $20 million. Okay, great. How'd you come <laughs> up with that number? Well, that's what I need to retire off of. Right. <laughs> or yeah. that's what I need to send my kids to school, college, mm -hmm. or that's, you know, I got five weddings I got to pay for because I have five girls yeah. or I need to buy a business, another business, you know, so the buyer doesn't care what you need. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. I mean, the, the seller's kind of like, oh, you know, at the end of the day, I have these assets and I feel like they're worth this much. And a buyer's like, um, no. Well, the buyer, the seller doesn't even base it on the assets. The seller bases it on what they need to exit. Yeah. Because the seller wants to take that money for their next phase of their mm -hmm. life. So buyers will buy value. So really planning out GPS exit is so important, more so than ever before, because the business landscape has changed. I don't know if you know this, but there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States. Small business is a backbone of the United States economy. Mm -hmm. Small business employs over half of the U.S. workforce. When I wrote Sell Your Business in 2013 and I did the research, 85 to 95% of all startups would fail within one to five years, right? We all yep. know that. That's and I think that's, knowledge. yeah, I was going to say, I think that's pretty basic knowledge. Uh, I've owned several businesses, so I know that's I, that's the numbers I've always heard. Is yep. you, if you make it past that first one to five year, you're good. 
But guess what you haven't heard? Guess what you don't know now? Hmm. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, and I did the research again, and I was flabbergasted. I told my team to do the research again and again and again and again and again. Double check the numbers, yeah. <laughs> because it's changed so much. The business landscape has changed so dramatically that only 30% of startups will now go out of business. So all of you trying to do a startup, you got a much bigger chance of success now. Right, yeah. So one to five years, you have a 30% chance mm -hmm. of going out of business. Now listen to this, out of 30.2 million businesses, 27.6 million businesses out of 27.6, a study was done. Mm -hmm. Businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses are at risk of going out of business. Wow. 70. So it shifted. You see the shift? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So why is that shift? Mm -hmm. And before we talk about why that shift is, let's talk about what that means. Now you hear about the big box stores all the time. Like you hear about Toys R Us just went out of business. Kmart mm -hmm. went out of business. Steinmark, JCPenney's, GNC just closed down 900 locations. Yeah. What you're not hearing about are all the small private companies on every street corner in every city and every state across our great nation that are dropping like flies. Yeah, that are, that are just fighting tooth and nail to stay open. Yeah. Right, and they're going to be forced into selling for pennies on the dollar. Yep. Close their business or file for bankruptcy. And when they file for bankruptcy, they're not just going to lose their business assets, they'll lose their personal assets too because most business owners commingle personal with business. If you mm -hmm. sign a personal guarantee, you just pierced the corporate veil. Right. If you take a mortgage against your real estate, you just pierced the corporate veil. Okay. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of businesses, um, maybe you could give some insight on this. I know a lot of businesses tried to take up on the, um, uh, the, the peep, uh, pay, payroll loans and stuff. And I know a lot of small businesses that were struggling, they jumped on that. And what I'm hearing a lot now is that a lot of these smaller businesses, they literally cannot sustain and stay open. And so now they took these loans uh, and, and they're closing their doors and they're stuck with these loans. Well, the PPP, the PPP will be forgiven if you meet certain criteria. Right. If you keep your employees. Mm -hmm. um, I've got several clients that took PPP. I took the PPP. Mine will be yep. forgiven. I'm not really sure what the rules and regulations are if you close your business down, if your business goes out of business, mm -hmm. if it's going to be forgiven or not. I would assume it is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're supposed to keep your employees on payroll. Yep. Um, but the reason why, you know, these businesses are, are going out of business is because, and we talk about this too in Exit Rich, they stopped, aim, I call it AIM. Right. They, failure to AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market mm -hmm. because those who make it easiest for the consumers to do business with them is a company that's going to win. Right. Amazon winning. Yeah. You, you always want to keep the face of the business up there. You always want to keep the face of the business. You want your marketing out there. You always want people engaging. Always. But you got to innovate because Toys R Us did nothing <laughs> over nothing. 60 yeah. years of doing things the same way. 60 years. Yeah, they just expected they kids to come in and buy toys. Way. Right. Yep. And same thing with Blockbuster. Blockbuster saw mm -hmm. the writing on the wall with Netflix and did nothing to innovate. So you can market all day long. Yeah. But if you don't innovate, if you don't ask your clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with me? Yep. Then you're going to lose that market share. They're going to go somewhere else that's asking those questions. Someone else who's delivering the goods. Right. And Amazon is winning 
because they make it so easy for the consumers to do business with them. And businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer stopped innovating mm -hmm. and stopped marketing. And yeah. that's the big issue. And that's why these businesses are going out of business. So yeah. in Exit Rich, we talk about make sure you plan your exit and build a business to innovate and market, but also build a business with a solid foundation to run on all six P's. Okay. So let me know if you want to know about the six. Yeah. P's. What is, what are the six P's then? <laughs> uh, I, I do. And I, and I'm very interested, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you uh, talk about this and, and especially on the innovation side and where, where that touches with me is, like I said, I'm a general contractor. I own a construction business. Um, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things I noticed, I used to have uh, down in Florida, when I lived in Florida, I had a uh, landscape business. And I started my first landscape business when I was like 16. I took over my father's landscape business at 18. I sold that business and started another business, a bigger landscape business. I built that one up to several trucks, trailers, crew, sold that one to a friend and walked away. Uh, at the time I did that, it was the reason I did that was because I saw a million people flooding into the landscape industry. So every corner you had a new truck and trailer pulling up with a lawnmower. And, and you couldn't you couldn't beat their prices. I mean, you know, guys with their kids would come out and start mowing lawns. You couldn't beat their prices. So I, I saw a target to get out. I also used to have a computer repair business. Now, when tablets and smartphones really started taking off, when, when iPads came out and stuff, I saw that was the time for me to get out of computer repair business because nobody was repairing computers anymore. It was throwaway devices. They were going to buy new innovation and new, new, new stuff. And now I'm at a point with construction where I'm at that point again, where I'm noticing in my general area in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, there is a new construction guy on every corner, every day popping up, there's a new company. And I'm like, there's no point in competing when you can't beat the price of that guy. I can continue with the quality work we do. I can continue with the clientele I have, or I can go ahead and as you or your, your book said, I can start planning my exit right now. Yep. Or you can try to, to pivot and get into a niche in a construction industry. We, we're working with the construction industry right now, a construction business right now that specializes this is a pretty big company, but they mm -hmm. didn't start out big, right? Every company right. small. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I think they start out like building houses and stuff. And mm -hmm. now they are, they build highways and bridges and. Right. Know, so they're more in the civil and infrastructure side. Yep. And yep. they do a lot of government work and a lot of core engineers work. And, you know, they're even as about 10 million, 10 million, 10 million to 12 million a year. And we'll probably sell them between 60 to 70 million. So they transitioned. Um, so you either have to look at your industry and that's actually the second P by the way, that's hot. Okay. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's go back to the first. So I do them in order here. <laughs> the first P is people. You don't okay. build a business, you build people and people build the business, right? Mm -hmm. so you got to have the right people in the right seats. If you don't have the right, and entrepreneurs are so, you know, first of all, entrepreneurs are kind of control freaks. They like to do everything themselves. And I say, well, if I need it, if I want it done right, I got to do it myself. Yes. And, and I, I've that, done that so many times and cut my nose off despite my face because, because it, it tends to be unproductive once you build to a certain level. Well, yeah, because you might do that. Right. But you just let five other things fail. Yes. <laughs> you yep. Yep. So you really got to hire your strengths, but I'm, I'm sorry, hire your weaknesses, focus on your strengths mm -hmm. and you got to have the right people in the right, right seats. You got to have a management team and you got to create a business that works for you instead of you working for it. Yep. You know, because buyers don't want to buy a job. So people's number one. And if you are going to have 1099s, 
make sure it meets the government IRS regulations. Make sure you're not sticking 1099s into a manufacturing situation. Like we have a manufacturing company that we're selling and they have a plant and they have about 150 1099s working in the plant. <laughs> if one catastrophic event occur, you're out it's of It's over. Yeah. Plus, if, if an employee gets upset, gets disgruntled, they're going to go report you. Mm-hmm. Then before you know it, you have a class action against you. Yep. And it is a disaster. Yeah. So before we can even sell the business, we have to figure out the dollar amount to convert all the 1099s to W-2s. And you're going to lose some employees when you do that. Because of course. They want to pay cash. Mm-hmm. And that's going to decrease the EBITDA when you do that. But buyers are not going to buy a business with 150 1099s in the manufacturing. <laughs> they, well, they shouldn't. So, <laughs> yeah. So people is number one. I mean, you really don't have a business without people. You know, um, photographers, they say yeah. they have a business, but they don't. They're the only photographer. Yeah. Or, you know, videographers. I mean, but, um, physicians and dentists have a very hard time mm-hmm. because we have a dental practice right now that they want us to sell. But the problem is, it's one dentist. You pull that right. dentist out, there is no business. Yep. So people's number one. Number two is product. You have to look at your product or look at your industry and ask, is it dying or is it thriving? Do you have mm-hmm. a Blockbuster or do you have an Amazon? Yeah. And if you're in, a, in an industry like you are in construction, then you have to figure out, okay, what am I, okay, if I'm going to stay in this, you know, particular construction area of who I service, you know, building houses, whatever it is, remodeling. Yeah. What's my unique selling propositions? How, how do I not compete on price? How do I compete on quality? How do I compete? You know, how do I, what's my USP, my unique selling proposition? Or what can I pivot into? Mm-hmm. What is it? What doesn't have as much competition? Because I will tell you, this construction company doesn't have that many comp- competitors. Right. So what can you transition into that doesn't have as many competitors and it's more of a niche and you can transition your business in there and be a lot more successful? Mm-hmm. Everybody should ask themselves this question. This is a great question. What business are you in? What business should you be in? What business are you in? What business should you be in? Now, you might not think much about that question, but let me give you an example. To me, it's real important for construction. I know I'm in the business for my client. So I know why I'm in business is to to bring a service to the table and, and the service we provide for the client. Okay, let me give you an example, two examples that will help drive this home for you. Mm -hmm. Have you ever watched a movie, The Founder? I have not. You have to watch that movie. Go watch it tonight and report back to me tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I will. (laughs) So it's it's called The Founder. It's based upon the McDonald's Brothers, the McDonald's restaurant, right? And so Ray Crockett, the McDonald's Brothers are not, not the ones, not the owners who built that into a multi-billion dollar yeah. global organization. Ray Crockett did. Okay. All right. So you got to go watch that movie. But Ray Crockett was in the bank and he had already leveraged everything he had. He already taken out loans. what I say? He took out a loan yeah. on his on his home <laughs> and commingled his assets. Yeah. And so he's telling the bank, look, I need to borrow money. And the bank is not listening to him and saying, look, we can't lend you any more money, etc." And there was, there was a, a gentleman sitting in a cubicle Next, it was working with another banker and he overheard the conversation. So he followed Ray Crockett outside of the bank and he said, listen, I couldn't help but overhearing your conversation. He said, what business are you in? And Ray Crockett said, I'm in the restaurant business. He said, no, that's not the business you're in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't have time for this. I need money because <laughs> I'm in the restaurant business. And he says, no, yes, you're in the restaurant business, but that's not the business you should be in. Right. The business you should be in is the real estate business. The real estate business. See, Ray was losing everything. And when he watched a movie, you'll get everything I'm saying. Yeah. Ray was losing everything, all of his assets, because he had franchisees. Franchisees were finding a location. They were buying the land. And if they weren't compliant, there was nothing Ray could do about it, right? Right, yeah. So the, the gentleman said, look, you need to be in the real estate business. You find the land, you buy the land, you build it out. They and- le- You lease it to the franchisees. If they're not compliant, you give them 30 days of care and they're out. Right. That one question alone completely changed the trajectory of McDonald's franchise forever. They are the largest real estate holding company in the world. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Because of that. If If he didn't ask that question, Ray would just have, Ray would have lost everything. Mm -hmm. So same thing with Steve Jobs. When he came back to Apple, Apple was failing. I mean, their stock was very low. They were failing. And Steve goes, what business are we in? And everybody kept saying, we're in the computer business. He goes, no, no. What business are we in? And they go, we're in the computer business. He's like, what business should we be in? And they said, they said, we're in the computer business. We don't know what you're talking about. And Steve Jobs goes, no, we need to be in the communications business. Yeah. Be where you're anywhere in the world, you can connect with anyone anywhere in the world with these cute little devices. No matter where you are, you have one of these yep. in your pocket. That's how the iPhone was developed, that's how the iPad was developed, the iPod, the iCloud, the i everything because of that one question. So, every business owner should be asking themselves, and you know what? You really have to think about it, Dean. You can't just like answer it like that. You really have right. to be in a quiet room, and I call this transformational thinking versus transactional thinking. But you really got to ask yourself, what business am I in, and what business should I be in? So if you're if you're in the business of, you know, commercial um, building houses, maybe there's a different type of business, a different type of niche. Right. You need to get in. Does that make sense? What I'm yeah, saying? totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And, so and that's kind of where I feel. I, you know, I've been in construction 27 years, and I, I always go through about every seven years. I, ch- I kind of change up. I'll still do it, but I kind of get out of it enough to where it gives me a break, and then I jump back in a little bit full force. Um, but I always find it where I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, and I scale over, I I move on to something a little different and then I pull back into it. Well, it might just be a pivot in the construction business. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like me in mergers and acquisitions. I asked myself, what business am I in? What business should I be in? I knew I had to start fixing businesses, growing businesses because otherwise I would starve to death because so many businesses are not sellable, Mm -hmm. you know? So so that's the second piece. So you got people, you got product. The third P is processes. Mm-hmm. And processes are mostly overlooked. Most business owners never focus on process because they're so busy doing everything else. Yep. They never figure they never think about processes. So processes, you know, really should be designed with the customer experience in mind. Again, another example from the founder, the McDonald brothers, not Ray Crockett, went to an empty tennis court. And they took their entire team, I think they had like 30 people, put them on a tennis court, drew out the process and practice it for hours. Who's going to take the order? Who's going to toast the buns? Who's going to cook the burger? Who's going to put the mustard on the bun? Who's going to put the pickles? Who's going to package it? Who's going to get the customer? They had a well thought out plan. Yeah. 
with the customer experience in mind because they have one objective that they were try, trying to obtain. Their objective, because that was just back in the 40s and 50s when there were drive-throughs, mm-hmm. and it took forever to get your food, and the order was always wrong. Yep. So their whole objective was to deliver good-tasting food, good-tasting quality food, fast. Right, yeah, <laughs> fast. as fast as possible, yeah. And that's what that process allowed them to do. So processes are huge, and processes should be documented in operational manuals, employee handbooks, SOP charts. Um, policy and procedure manuals, et cetera. But you'd be surprised how many business owners never really plan their processes out. And then the fourth P, which is the biggest value driver there is out of all P's, is proprietary and electric property. So branding is number one. The more well-branded a company is, the more money they're going to sell for. The the Coca-Cola brand alone is worth $89 billion because no matter Mm -hmm. where you are, you know, how much money you have, everybody knows one name Coke. Yep. McDonald's brand um, is probably worth about 250 billion. Guess who's the biggest brand? Uh, I don't know. Where are we at? Apple. 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 Yeah. I knew, I knew Apple was up there. I was thinking Amazon and then I'm like, well, Walmart's got to be catching up by now. Um, Apple's 350 billion. That's insane. Yep. Yeah. So branding is very important. Um, branding is a huge value driver. Also, another big mistake that the business owners make, Dean, is they don't federally trademark their company name. Mm-hmm. Lots of it. I've seen lots of business owners lose their shirt, spend lots of money, end up having to go out of business because they did not trademark their company name. Don't just get a local trademark. Get a federal trademark. It's not that expensive. Right. Um, and also, if you have some unique ideas, get patents. Patents are huge value drivers. Also contracts. Um, If you're in landscaping, you know, we have a commercial, we have a a client. And this is another thing that kind of surprises me sometimes with some business owners. We have a commercial landscape client. He but is about $3 million a year. And he just does commercial. And it's mostly hospitality. But when COVID hit, he didn't have any business because of hospitality. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, all your hospitality People, CFOs, CEOs, everybody, everybody that you do business with, they they have homes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and their homes have yards. Yep. So why don't you go to them and do residential? He's like, no, I hate residential. Yeah, and okay. a lot, and that's how it is in the business. A lot of people just don't want to do one or the other. I know, but then stop complaining. Exactly. Because do you want to be a success line. or do you want to be a failure? Yeah. And here's the bottom line: like you should be diversified. So if you lose your commercial clientele, at least you got residential over here. Yeah, and, and you can also build two divisions and that just expands your company. Yep. It's like my company. I have a company we specialize in graphics for first responders. Well, now we want to also do graphics for commercial vehicles. Yeah. So we're going to have another division. Yeah, and it, it, it's a great way to expand a company and, and set up its own marketing on that, on that division. And those guys can run with it. And sometimes, right. you know, that's the most success you can have with the business. So, so... Another part, I call it the six pillars of proprietary, but you got to have, you know, branding, federal trademark, also patents, if you have any patents, if you don't, it's Mm -hmm. okay, but patents are value drivers, contracts. So if you're in landscaping, any type of company that you can have contracts, contracts are huge value drivers, especially client contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the biggest mistake the business owners make, I will tell you, 99% of business owners never do this. There's a small little three-line clause that you can put in your contract that says this this contract is transferable. 
Mm -hmm. They never do that. Right. 99% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So if your contracts are not transferable, this will be a the value. It, yeah. Pull. Dead in the water, dead in, in the water. Diligence. That's right. Yeah. Unless a buyer is willing to do a convert to a stock sale. We sold a large medical transportation company and I kept telling them, get your clients, get your contracts transferred, get them transferred, put the transfer clause in there. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. They never did it. Mm-hmm. And then in due diligence, they lied to me and told me they did. <laughs> like, I'm not going to find out. And then in due diligence, we find out they didn't do it. Luckily, I was able to get my buyer to convert right. and to, to a stock purchase. But otherwise, it would be a big problem. So contracts are very important. The other thing that's a big value driver is, let's say you have an e-commerce business and you're number one or number two or number three on Wayfair. Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. You know how many e-commerce businesses want to take their products and have that position? Yep. Um, or let's say you have a unique gadget and you own that, you corner that market on Amazon. You know, or let's say you have a skincare product and Glenn Beck is only promoting your skincare product. Right. I mean, that's what we call business real estate that has huge value to it. Mm-hmm. The fourth P is Patreons. So you always have to ask yourself, do you have customer concentration or client diversification? And if you have 60, 70, 80% of your revenue tied up into a few clients and you lose one or two clients, you can yeah. literally be out of business. Yeah, yeah. So you got to have customer. And then the other thing is if a business has been in business 30, 40, 50, 60 years, a lot of their clients are aging out. Mm-hmm. So they got to make sure that they're doing what they need to do to innovate market to go after the younger generation. Yeah, to, to keep the, the, the right. same stream of lo- streamline they have. Yeah, makes sense. The last P... The P that we all care about is profits, mm-hmm. which <laughs> is know? weird. That's last. Everybody else always puts profit first. Yeah. Here's why I put it last. That's a good point. Yeah. I all this in my book, Exit Rich. But here's why I put it last. Because profit is never the problem. It mm-hmm. is always a symptom of not having the right people in place. Always a symptom of being in a dying industry, not a thriving industry. Mm-hmm. Always a symptom of not having efficient, productive processes with the customer experience in mind. Always a symptom of not protecting your IP. It's always a symptom, never the problem. Yeah, That's that, make, that makes total sense. Because uh, I, I can think of so many times where I've, I have a friend in business or whatever, and they tell me they're struggling. And, and I've watched their lifestyle throughout the course of the business. And I've just watched them, you know, the new cars, the new boat, we just bought a house. And I'm like, well, it's great. You're making good profit. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're eating the profit up front and not focusing on the other ends of the business. Well, not only that, but there are so many businesses that look profitable on paper, mm-hmm. but they're like a week away from closing down. Yes, yes. And if you don't really have good checks and balances in place, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many embezzlements I've seen internal embezzlements where the employees are embezzling money from the owner or a recent um, experience was the $18 million company we sold. And I, I was helping with the due diligence and I noticed that the CPA, the in-house CPA mm-hmm. kept stuffing stuff in the drawers. And I kept trying to get to the payables, the receivables, all this stuff so we could true up working capital for the yep. closing. The closing was like in two days. So when she left, I went in there and started snooping. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I yeah. I mean, you got to know. You got to have that information. She was, she was stealing money. Wow. Stealing money. Yeah. Yep. And that's and that's horrible. And again, I guess that goes right back to, like you said, having the right people in place. I mean, when, when you have a good team and you build a good team and you, you vet people well, you're not going to have those problems well, as often. Let me just say this. I agree, but let me say this, Dean. 
yes, vet people well, always have the right team, etc. But always inspect what you expect. Mm-hmm. Always trust but verify. Right. Because so many owners take a back seat. They're like, oh, I have a CPA. CPA, yeah. you know, they're ethical, they're honorable, they're trustworthy. Oh, I have a CFO. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have this, I have that. But then they never have checks and balances. And then they're never inspecting anything. And before you know it, they were just robbed a million dollars and even know it. Right. So you, got, you still got to trust but verify. You still got to inspect what you expect. And you have to have those checks and balances in place to make sure you're not being ripped off. Yeah, I for sure. I want to I want to dig deeper in this stuff later. So I'll probably have you come back on another episode. I know you're kind of on a time time crunch for your next appointment and stuff. Um, but please tell our audience where they can uh, pick up your book, sure. uh, where they can reach out to you to get some more of this information or check you out on social media. And if you have time, tell us a little bit about the Academy as well. Sure. So let me tell you about the book first, because yep. that kind of will lead into the Academy. Okay. So the book, um, so the book was supposed to come out in uh, 2019, I mean, 2020, mm-hmm. but you know, COVID pushed that back. Yep. <laughs> like it pushed Always. everything back. Yeah. 2020 so, has been amazing. So the book is coming out in January. However, you can get the book today. Okay. So anybody that goes to exitrichbook.com, that's exitrichbook.com. Buys a book for $24.79, which includes shipping. You okay. can't even buy it on Amazon, Hudson, or in our Books a Million for that. Right. All of those websites are more. Okay. You buy it for $24.79, you get the digital download immediately. Plus, you get the free book membership, which in that free book membership, you have me doing videos where I take, do deep dives into the six Ps, do deep dives into the mistakes and the pitfalls. Plus, I have samples of handbooks, processes, Samples of due diligence, checklist, LOIs, purchase agreements, closing docs, everything and anything. If you're a business owner, you would want to get your hands on. And then we also are giving 30 days free membership, 30 days free membership in the club CEOs, which is a group of like-minded entrepreneurs where we do hot seats, Q and A's, mastermind. And then when the book comes out, it's shipped to your door, shipped to your door. That's amazing. That's that's really a great deal. and, And just to be able to get all those resources from you is awesome. Yes. And Solar Tucker Academy. So when they buy the book at exitrichbook.com, they'll be given a login to go into Solar Tucker Academy. And then that's where the book membership is. That's where Club CEOs is. And we also have an educational course coming out called Build to Sell, which takes a business owner through all of these um, strategies that we've been talking about today mm-hmm. in order to get their business ready to maximize their sell. That's huge. That's huge. And I, we have a lot of uh, audience members that are business owners as well. And so I think this will be great resources. Um, when I when I p- post this up and get it linked for you, it's going to have all these links tied into the description. So this will all uh, let our audience find you a lot easier. I really appreciate having you on here today. And like I said, I'd love to have you back in the future um, and get you back on another episode where we can dig a little deeper, or maybe you got you can give us a little more resources into what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can, you know, I, I will never stop talking. <laughs> For sure. I want you, uh, I, I, I look forward to getting you back. Um, this is just, I mean, this is just the most uh, valuable resources, just this short episode, but, but when we get you back, we'll dig a little deeper and, and, and try to try to mine into some of the stuff you, you know, cause you're very, you're so knowledgeable. This is stuff that every business owner should have. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. You have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks Dave. Take care.